Hello, it's Brandon from Free Indeed Radio here, and today we have something really special planned for you. Uh, today we're interviewing Kent Hovind, who was a nationally renowned speaker and debater on creation science and evolution. Um, he was a biology teacher on the high school and collegiate level for many years, and went around the world speaking on creation and changing people's minds about the lies of evolution and the damage that it does, and the beauty of God's creation it tries to conceal. And what's amazing is Kent really uh, recently served a prison sentence for something called structuring. It's something to do with taxes, and we'll talk more about that later. But the story of how he went to prison, what happened inside, the reasons behind his indictment, and his thoughts on the world are now, I mean, interesting to say the least. And it's a sobering look at the world. So we're excited to share this with you. So on with the show. You're listening to Free Indeed Radio, the podcast from Free Indeed Ministries. here hello kent hey did you want video or just audio um well we we set up so that we're both sitting on camera uh ready to look at you if you want to do video there we go there hey hi hey nice to meet you it's good to finally meet you yes sir thank you where are you folks from we're from uh redmond oregon Central okay. Oregon. Yeah. There's a rumor going around that you got a bunch of heathen out there in Oregon. Is that true? All of the heathen. <laughs> <laughs> they all live in Oregon? Okay, that's what I heard. <laughs> I just finished doing five programs on uh, on my book, What on Earth is About to Happen on End Times. We just posted them on YouTube, uh, Kent Hovind Official. If you get a chance, watch those little 30-minute segments to teach what the Bible says about the end times. Okay. Anyway, I'm ready, brothers. Let's go. Excellent. Well, um... First off, I'd just like to to tell you that you're actually the first person who actually convinced me of who Christ was because of your creation seminars. My dad had a had a videotape of them, and um, I would watch them after school. I actually I grew up in public school and you know knew all the lies about the textbooks and stuff like that. The lies in the textbooks was particularly interesting to me, and um, <coughs> just. I just couldn't get enough of, of all the information. I watched them over and over, and I remember just one night um, in summer of 2007, I just finished watching um, one of your one of your videos, and I looked in the mirror and just said, I'm absolutely convinced that Christ is who he says he is, and I have no choice but to follow. Amen. Tell somebody else about it. That's what I live for, brother. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So, without uh, further ado, I'm John Ford, and uh, Brandon and I work together. We have a ministry out here. I can still hear you. There you are. So, we have a ministry out here that that we work together, and so we'll kind of go into some of that, and we'd love to hear some of your opinions and thoughts and uh, just talk to you about what you do and what we do and how all that ties together and what God's doing. Sounds great. I'm ready. Excellent.
Well, so um, our ministry out here is called Free Indeed, and it's a ministry that's geared towards helping people who deal with same-sex attraction, gender identity issues, um, gay identity, gender identity, those types of things, um, on one hand, uh, to know Christ and and to to know his grace and his love. And um, on the other hand, the other half of what we do is going to the churches and going to pastors and parishioners, congregations, or individuals of the family of faith who say, I have a gay brother, cousin, aunt, uncle, such and such, and I want to love them, but I don't know how. And so we do a major equipping of the family of faith to love God's people that way. Amen. Have you seen the Audacity movie? We are actually going to download it. We're going to... Excellent. Yeah, because then we'll probably do a a segment on that too because I'm pretty excited to see that. Have you seen it? Have you seen it yet, Kent? Yeah, several times. Ray Comfort did it. He's a good friend of mine. It's really well done on this exact issue. So I think that's a a witnessing tool you can use. Cool. Excellent. I do like Ray Comfort. He's an interesting fellow. He's a great guy. <laughs> Love the accent. Yeah, New Zealand. Mm. He's hilarious. Excellent. <clears throat> so, um, I, I guess, can, can I just ask you, uh, what's your life been like over the last nine years? <laughs> Whoa. Well, I see. I was a high school science teacher 15 years and then moved to Florida in 1989 and an evangelist uh, traveling and speaking on creation, evolution, and dinosaurs. And then the federal government came with the SWAT team, raided this place, and hauled my wife and I to jail. I spent almost nine years in federal prison, moved all over the place. I was moved 30 times uh, and finally got home a month ago. And so I've been home now for a month. Uh, <laughs> what a bizarre case. All the details on that are up on freekenthovind.com if people want to read about this amazing case. And, God was really good. It was amazing how God used it. One of the things that happened in prison was I had to change my theology from pre-trib rapture. Jesus is coming any minute before the tribulation, which I wish was true, and it's not true. I had to switch to post-trib rapture, and I wrote a book about it someplace here. Oh, here we go. What on earth is about to happen, for heaven's sake? This was a dissertation I did from from prison uh, for another doctor's degree. And... If people go to uh, Kent Hovind Official, I broadcast I did this morning on that topic about why I had to switch and giving the evidences for a post-trib, pre-wrath rapture. Uh, can you re- restate where that was? You kind of broke up there. Okay, the website is it's a YouTube channel. <clears throat> Kent, K-E-N-T, my name, Hovind, H-O-V-I-N-D, Kent Hovind Official. Okay. is the website that has a lot of broadcasts I've done. If people have questions, they can send them in. We'll get to them as quick as we can. We cover a lot of questions on Bible and science, mostly. How can people get a hold of your uh, creation seminars? Do, are those still being sold? Oh, yeah. yeah. Those are uh, the website, uh, the number two and the word Peter and the number three will eventually, I think very soon, maybe even today, be the official website, 2 Peter 3. For now, that will link to uh, freekenthovind.com. Because uh, I was in prison, there was a group of folks trying to get me out. Free Kent Hovind. Uh, that will link to uh, creationtoday.org. So my son's ministry is creationtoday.org. He has the videotapes. People can order right there and they'll be shipped right out. Okay. Gotcha. Well, I, I'm getting to know the, the 
the science and the the biblical thinking that you teach, and I'm fascinated by it because I've never really thought about it uh, in in such a a way. Can you tell our audience and and me how you came to the <coughs> conclusion of Young Earth? Um, not just the the fact that you know if you count years because there's so <coughs> many spaces in all of the years that are out there or that are listed in the Bible, but just how did you come to that and and how do you build uh, a whole you know thought process around this the young earth thinking okay i point out that 6000 years is not young that's a long time okay the earth is pretty old 6000 years it's not billions of years old which is i think the brain can't even hold those numbers but uh, if you add up the dates you can look at this two ways you can look at it biblically the bible clearly says adam was 130 when seth was born and Seth was 105 when his son was born. Genesis chapter 5, it has all the numbers right there. Add them up. And then after the flood in the days of Noah, you have Shem, Noah's son Shem. It says how old he was when his son was born. And it picks up again in Genesis chapter 10 and 11, giving more dates. So by adding the dates given in the Bible, it becomes real obvious. The earth was created about 6,000 years ago or 4,000 B.C., 4,000 years before Christ. The big flood came in the days of Noah, about 2400 B.C., according to the Bible, or 4,400 years ago. Before the flood, the Bible says the people lived to be 900-plus years old. <clears throat> Adam was 930, Methuselah 969. I mean, something was really different before the flood came to allow them to live so long. And every ancient culture has legends of a golden age when man used to live to be a thousand. Why would they have such a crazy legend? Because it's true. Man used to live to be nearly a thousand. Right. It's also a biological fact that nearly all reptiles, lizards, snakes, etc., never stop growing. So before the flood, if they could live to be 900, they would get 80 feet long. That's the age of dinosaurs, not millions of years ago. So you can look at the age of the earth question from a biblical lens and say, well, the Bible clearly teaches 6,000. Or you can look at it from a scientific perspective. Forget the Bible. <clears throat> You say, okay, the sun is up there and it's burning. I think everybody agrees the sun is burning. Uh, I would I would and agree with that. <laughs> you would agree with that. Okay, good. And it's burning a whole lot of fuel. I mean, keep, it's keeping us warm down here from 93 million miles away. So it's burning a whole lot of fuel. About 5 million tons per second is the fuel consumption. That's the estimate. Okay, it's also shrinking about 5 feet every hour. The sun is shrinking. Well, if the sun is shrinking and it's burning up its fuel, then it used to be larger in the past. How far back in time can you go adding the mass and diameter to the sun before this creates a problem? If the sun were bigger and heavier, it's going to upset the gravitational pull and suck the earth in. Plus, it's going to cook everything down here. It's already hot enough in Florida where I'm at, Pensacola, Florida. It's already pretty warm out there. But <clears throat> the, 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 without the Bible, the shrinking sun tells us this sun-earth relationship cannot be billions of years old. It just can't be. There are about 100 indicators like that. They're called geochronometers, chrono meaning time and geo meaning earth. There's about 100 ways to show scientifically the earth is not billions of years old. I cover many of them on my videotape number one of my seminar series, which is from creationtoday.org. Uh, or it's on YouTube, on the, my YouTube channel, Kent Hovind Official. They can watch them right there. But there's lots of ways scientifically to say, look, this earth is not billions of years old. It just cannot be. 
And so how um, do you help somebody reconcile the words in the beginning? Uh, because I've heard it taught that that could mean that we don't know what the beginning was. Like in, in the book of Job is uh, usually cited because uh, Job's beginning was the first part of his life. And then after all of the <clears throat> coming through all of his disasters, his life began again. So do you see in the beginning as being any additional, not necessarily time like days and nights like we know it, but where the planets could have already been spread and therefore uh, just begun already, but not necessarily placed in order? Okay, there, if you look at it from a biblical perspective, it's, it couldn't be more clear. Genesis 1 and 2 talk about the creation of the earth in six days. Okay, not a problem. Exodus chapter 20, God's giving Moses the Ten Commandments, and he says, I want you to honor the Sabbath because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. Exodus 20, 11. So God himself writes it on a rock with his finger. God doesn't stutter. He writes it down clearly on a rock. Here, Moses, keep the Sabbath because I worked six days and made everything and rested one. So you work six and rest one. So Exodus 20:11 is real clear that was 6 days to create the stars everything so the stars could not have existed before the earth according to Exodus. A very similar verse is found in Exodus 31 where God said I made everything in 6 days. Then you go to the New Testament and you read where Jesus said in Matthew he's talking about marriage and divorce Matthew 19 Jesus said haven't you guys read he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. Mark 10.6, very similar. Jesus said that was the beginning of the creation when God created Adam and Eve, male and female. So here we have God telling us real clearly that was the beginning. Hmm. We see from Romans chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians 15 that nothing died until Adam sinned. Man brought death into the world. If you want to add billions of more years, you're going to have something die before man gets here. It creates a serious theological problem. Agree with you there for sure. Well, thank you for sharing that because that, like I said, has been um, an opinion that I've heard from different pulpits. Um, I, I have to admit that the verses that you've used are not ones that I've necessarily heard from other people who sort of leave that in the ambiguous, the in the beginning being an ambiguous thing. It's, you know, you've laid it out as a very clear thing. So thank you. Yeah, That's thank really you wonderful. Much. So I loved. The idea of dinosaurs, and I do, I'm one of those people who struggles with the fact that was man walking with them, were they on the ark, I've heard that, um, you know, <coughs> just, and I've never heard it put where dinosaurs would, or reptiles would continue to grow, of course, then I think of pterodactyls and so forth, you know, uh, supposedly of the bird family and all of these kind of things. Oh, yeah. We'll have to talk about what you think about T-Rexes becoming chickens. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> if you know somebody that believes that, I have got a bridge I want to sell them. Yeah. But, so <laughs> yeah, just uh, well, for that sake, you know, were they on the ark? And, and tell us about the dinosaur itself. Tell me about these giant animals that lived with man and how that was kind of your okay. view of construction. First of all, the word, the word dinosaur was made up in 1841. There was no such word before that. Dinosaurus. They took a, two different words. It means terrible lizard. 
they were finding the bones. See, back in the early 1800s, there wasn't a whole lot of digging in the ground for highways and stuff because they didn't have earth-moving equipment like we do today. you got to pick and a shovel. So rather than cut a ditch through the mountain for your highway, you build around the highway. So when they started giving, getting heavier equipment, steam engines and stuff, where they could actually do a lot more digging uh, without killing everybody's back, they began to discover more things down in the ground. Not that they weren't discovered before, but a lot more excavation was done in the early 1800s. Uh, they began finding these giant bones, and they were obviously bones of lizards. And so they made up a brand new word, dinosaur, terrible lizard, a huge reptile. The biblical perspective is very simple. God made everything in six days. Dinosaurs, man, everything. Trees, everything. Sure. Before the flood came, they lived to be 900, and reptiles, which never stopped growing, would grow to be 60 feet long. They were the dinosaurs. Noah then took them on the ark. People say, dinosaurs on the ark are kind of big, aren't they? Well, yeah, the big ones were big, but the little ones were little. <laughs> and Noah was 600 when he built the boat. He'd be smart enough to figure out, don't bring two big ones, bring two babies. There's a lot of reasons for bringing babies. It's common sense. you got less poop to shovel. you got less food to put in them. You got, they're going to live longer. They weigh less. They eat less. They sleep a lot more. And after the flood, they're going to live longer to repopulate, and that's the purpose of bringing them. Why would you bring one that's already full-grown and half-dead? Bring babies of everything. Bring baby giraffes, baby elephants. Anyway, but all through history, these animals were called dragons <clears throat> until yeah. 1841 when they made up the new word. Same animal, new word, dinosaur, dragon. Now, it says in Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter, that all the animals ate plants, and man was a vegetarian in the original creation. Everybody was a vegetarian. The animals were all harmless. They wouldn't hurt each other. They wouldn't hurt man. Genesis chapter 1, verse 29 and 30, they all ate vegetables. After the flood, when they get off the ark, Genesis chapter 9, God tells Noah, hey Noah, two changes now. The animals are going to be afraid of you. And it's okay to eat them. So it's okay to eat meat after the flood. Right. Now, later, restrictions were put on the diet of the Jews in the time of Moses, about 1400 B.C. Moses was given laws from God saying, don't eat this and don't eat that. Those restrictions are for the Jews. I'm Norwegian. I love bacon. And if you're Jewish, well, you don't want bacon, send it over. I'll eat it. <laughs> but then even those restrictions, I think, were lifted at the time of Jesus Christ when mm -hmm. Paul saw the vision come down, and he said, Kill, eat anything you want. So <clears throat> that's the dietary laws. But as far as dinosaurs, they were big lizards with Adam and Eve. Noah took them on the ark. <clears throat> After the flood, people killed them and called them dragons. And there are hundreds of legends of people killing dragons. Right. So I think that ties in real simple. Okay. So then does it go with that logic that before the flood, man lived you know, 900 years and dinosaurs would, or excuse me, the great lizards would too and continue to grow. So then when God put the restriction, if you will, of time and man. Okay, right about here, we lost audio for a few seconds. John finished out a thought and um, I can't remember what it was, but uh, we eventually recovered audio and uh, Kent finished up his, his question, kind of restated it, so here that is. All right, let's, let's try him back really quick. <clears throat> All right, there we go. Oh, there, there we, we go. go. Now we can uh, hear you. Yay. Okay, have to edit it out, huh? 
Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Thank you, though, for your patience. No, no problem. According to evolution, things get better automatically, so all this techno <laughs> stuff <just laughs> automatically improve. <laughs> anyway, to, to finish the question on dinosaurs, I think all through history they were called dragons, and they were killed by people, most of them. There might be a few still alive. There have been loads of sightings like Loch Ness Monster and Lake Champlain Monster. I don't know that any are alive, but there sure have been some strange things sighted over around the world. It's an awfully big world, <clears throat> a lot of which is not thoroughly explored. There are reports in the Central African Swamp in the Congo of creatures that the natives call Mokele Mbembe, which they describe as being a dinosaur. So there could be probably smaller. Now, the 120 years you mentioned is interesting. There are several theories about what that means. One theory is God says, Noah, you got 120 years till the flood comes. You better build a boat. Another theory says that nobody's going to live past 120. I don't think that's possible because people after the flood did live past 120. I mean, they lived to be 400 after the flood. Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So <clears throat> uh, the limit on lifespans probably is due to a, a real simple change. Genesis chapter 1, God said in verse 6 and 7, when he made the atmosphere, the firmament where the birds fly, he put water above the firmament. There used to be water above the atmosphere. If you had a layer of ice three or four inches thick, completely surrounding the world, a big shell of ice, super cold ice is magnetic. <clears throat> if all of the atmosphere today, which stretches out you know, 50, 60 miles and finally disappears, if that could be squeezed into, say, 10 miles, it would double the air pressure at the surface of the Earth, making breathing much easier, making it easier for birds to fly, making much larger insects available, because uh, insects breathe through their skin. So they got a real problem. As they get larger, they can't get enough air in to supply their body because it's called the surface area to volume ratio problem. Doesn't matter. Okay. But we find <laughs> fossils of insects that are huge. They find fossil cockroaches 18 inches long. Fossil grasshoppers 2 feet long. They found a fossil dragonfly with a 50-inch wingspan. Couldn't fly today. I believe before the flood came, there was this ice above the atmosphere which increased air pressure filtered out UV light, and was one of the many factors that made the people live to be 900. After the flood, that canopy was gone. It, it fell down. It rained 40 days and 40 nights, disappeared. But this ice canopy was probably suspended by the Earth's magnetic field because super cold ice is magnetic. And if this ice was in contact with outer space where it's negative 459 degrees or 456 it would stay super cold frozen and would stay magnetic, even though its inside is nice and warm. It'd be like an Eskimo building a, a dome home out of snow. He can build a fire inside and can't melt the roof right. because it's so cold outside. It keeps absorbing the heat away. Mm -hmm. okay. Wow. So then the, to conclude that, it's most likely that dinosaurs were hunted into extinction or you know, right. died or, you know, fell in a pit or something like that. Well, I think the millions were drowned in the flood. Okay. That's where we find the fossils from. After the flood, people killed them or they died off. They couldn't live to be 900. The same, same thing happened to the people. They could not live to be 900 after the flood. The, the larger species probably couldn't live long enough to get mature to reproduce. And so they would die off in a few generations. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, well, that's that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. And again, uh, just tell people where they can hear all, because, I mean, that was just a, a snippet of all the information that you've researched over the years and um, and have articulated hundreds of times all over the world. So where, where again, can people find that? My videotapes, 18-hour 18 18-hour 18 seminar, talking as fast as I can go, which with much nicer PowerPoint graphics, uh, is available at thecreationtoday.org, my son's ministry, or on uh, 2peter3.com, the number 2, the word Peter, and the number 3. Second Peter 3 in the Bible talks about the scoffers in the last days being ignorant of the creation, the flood, and the coming judgment. So those are three things we cover, the stuff about the creation, stuff about the flood, and stuff about what's coming. I do a lot of uh, question-answer on uh, YouTube channel, Kent Hovind Official, mm-hmm. K-E-N-T-H-O-V-I-N-D, Hovind uh, Official. They can uh, look at the broadcast there and send questions in. We eventually get to them, <laughs> trying to get to all of them. Okay? Sure. Well, um, let's switch gears a little bit and... Uh... We kind of—I kind of want to ask you about a question that's been on my mind: is what do you think is the biggest thing that the Lord taught you personally over your time in prison and being moved around and ministering <laughs> to everyone on the inside? Um, it, uh, many things. It was good in a thousand ways. It was hard. I don't want to do it again. Okay, <laughs> but sure. almost nine years in federal prison, being moved all over, but. <clears throat> Many things the Lord taught me. He taught me that you can live with very little. I mean, you can live out of a shoebox. We don't need all these trinkets and toys and gadgets, you know. Sometimes mm-hmm. we get all excited about the things of this earth that are all going to burn. So it does give you a new perspective. Uh, much of the Bible is written from prison or captivity mm-hmm. or by people who did one of those, okay? I'm sure none of them liked it either. But <clears throat> people who've experienced prison or captivity, it changes your outlook on many things. Like, wow. It's not important. It doesn't matter. It makes you appreciate your family. Uh, it makes you understand the shortness of life. Man, we could be out of here today. If something could happen, we could die. During my prison time, I had to change my theology. As I read the Bible, I said, man, we're, we're going to be here for the tribulation. I wish we were raptured out any minute, but it's just not true. So I wrote my book, What on Earth is About to Happen, mm-hmm. uh, based on the post-trib, pre-wrath rapture. So I changed that. I wrote about 37 books from prison, did a lot of soul-winning evangelism. Another major thing that I saw, and I, I'm embarrassed, it is, I've been a Christian 46 years. I didn't see this until I went to prison. God never authorizes prisons at all. we got all these conservatives out there saying, tough on crime, tough on crime, longer prison sentences. In God's word, in God's law, <clears throat> you either get a fine or a beating or executed. No prisons. God doesn't authorize locking people up at all. I've asked a thousand guys I've been in prison. I said, let me ask you a question. If you were found guilty of your crime, whatever your crime was, and the judge said, I'm going to give you an option. Do you want five years in prison or 20 lashes? Lay down right here on the floor. We'll give you 20 lashes. Which would you take, five years in prison or 20 lashes? All of them said the lashes. Okay, that's what God's Word says, by the way. Deuteronomy 23 or 25, for certain crimes, you get a beating. You have to lay down in front of the judge. The judge has to see what this punishment just did. Today, the judges just pick these numbers out of the air. Ah, five years, ten years, twenty years. You know, it's just 
they don't see what it does to the family or the person. They don't see it. They have to watch it in the Bible. But I ask them, would you want 20 lashes or five years? They all say 20 lashes. I say then, which would be cheaper for society? Well, 20 lashes. You don't have to feed the guy for five years. Okay. Which is better for your family? 20 lashes. Because when a guy goes to prison for five years, almost all of them lose their home, lose their wife, lose their job. Got to start over when they get out. Okay, They lose all that. Whereas if you get 20 lashes, you're sore for a week and you come back to work the next week. And boss, I had to take a week off. I couldn't move. Which would be a better deterrent? I've asked a thousand of them. If the judge said you're getting 20 lashes, if you do this crime again, you're getting 25. Well, they said lashes is a much better deterrent. If someone rapes your daughter, she does not need to feed him for the next 20 years and then worry about him getting out. She needs to watch him get shot or hung or something and then go spit on his grave a couple times a week until she can heal up emotionally. It's common sense 101. So I am embarrassed that as a Christian, I had to go to prison to realize prison should not exist. And I will forever be an advocate of closing them down, all of them. Certain people ought to just be executed. You don't need to lock them up for 20 years or 50 years. Just shoot them. Get it over with. Help them. What's the wife supposed to do? The guy's going to prison for life. Okay, now what's his family supposed to do? He should be shot or hung or gas chamber or something. I don't know. And then uh, put him out of our misery. Okay? So those are a few things I learned in prison. Interesting. Very interesting. Um <clears throat> Yeah, I, I've actually never thought about that before. I never, I never even thought about you know, if if prison was even something that God would be about or or sanctioned because I knew that you know the, the apostles got locked up a lot in it. I see. Yeah, in the Bible there are prisons, but it's always the heathen that are doing it. The Romans, the Egyptians, you know, the, the, and God's people spent a lot of time in them, but that doesn't mean God authorized them. It was the heathen doing that. Okay. Okay. Um, so, uh, is this obviously this isn't going to deter you? You know, being in prison isn't going to deter you from moving forward in your speaking uh, on creation and speaking on. And I, I see that you're now an advocate of closing prisons down. So, what are some other things that you're going to continue to move in and advocate? Well. In, uh, for 20-some for years, I traveled all over the world and spoke on the creation and the flood and dinosaurs. Second Peter 3 says the scoffers in the last days are ignorant of the creation, the flood, and the coming judgment. I did not talk much about end times type issues because I really wasn't clear in my mind. I had been taught the pre-trib rapture, and I wished it was true, and I thought it was true, and it's just not. So I will add a whole new series of videos as soon as I can on what on earth is about to happen, what's coming next. So we have videos on the creation and on the flood. Next will be a whole series on what's coming after this. I'll do PowerPoint once I get where I can travel again and uh, start doing that. So that's the new phase of the ministry is adding a whole section on end times. And that'll be up on 2peter3.com starting very soon. Can you give us just a brief kind of snip, snippet on that? Like what, what was what changed your mind? Um, the Bible says ten different times the sun and the moon are going to go dark. As I was reading all those ten passages, and I just covered that a few minutes ago on my YouTube channel, Kent Hovind Official, 
Uh, I did five 30-minute programs on this very topic. If people want the longer answer, they can go there and watch them right on YouTube. Kent Hovind official. Uh, there is coming a seven-year period called the 70th week of Daniel from Daniel's prophecies. We covered that in the first broadcast uh, this morning. I did five half-hour programs. Uh, there's a seven-week period, seven-year period called the 70th week of Daniel. There's a time of great falling away. Israel is going to rebuild their temple on the Temple Mount. Antichrist is going to break the treaty and desolate the temple. Then there's going to come a time of great tribulation, trouble like crazy on planet Earth, especially for believers and Christians. Then comes the day of the Lord when the sun, the day of Christ when the sun and the moon go dark. So. I used to believe we could be taken out of here any moment, you know, rapture, get ready, the Lord could come, you know, and it happened in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and oh, I wish it was true, but it's not. So my book deals with that topic and why I had to switch, and it's six, uh, 260 pages, so I don't know if I can summarize it, but the basic idea is we are taken out of here after the tribulation, before the wrath of God falls in the day of the Lord. I was guilty of confusing the day of Christ and the day of the Lord, they're not the same, I was guilty of confusing tribulation and wrath, and they are not the same. Tribulation is what the world does to us, and Jesus said we're going to have it. Mm -hmm. John 16, in the world ye shall have tribulation. Now, wrath is what God does to the world, and we are not here for that. Mm -hmm. Okay? Okay. Yeah, I'm okay with that. (laughs) Um, So, oh shoot, I had the... I had where I wanted to go. Just lost it. Well, let me just pick it up then. (laughs) Um, I I like your stance on the prisons. I have always believed the same way you do, actually, that prisons are not a good idea. Never have been. So, um, are and, and based on what you went through with the judicial system and seeing the absolute corruption of it, which, um, I have to say I've I've seen it too, not from a personal level, but, well personally through other people as I've helped them or uh, family members, whatever. Um, do you advocate for anybody? Are you advocating for law changes, or you know, are you before this new attorney general and trying to uh, buck some of the system there, or at least bring about changes that would make it somewhat more honest, if you will? Well, one serious change that Congress could do in five minutes, if they would. Nobody involved in law enforcement or passing laws should be allowed to own stock or profit from the prison system. I was in Yazoo City, Mississippi, at the prison up there my last month before coming home. The property is owned by the former governor of Mississippi, Haley Barber. He owns the land and leases it for the prison. He's got a 99-year lease. I would guess 100000 a month coming in. I'm just picking a number. I don't know. But they're leasing the land off of him, and their prison is there for 99 years. His son, Haley Barber Jr., is the chief federal judge in Jackson, Mississippi. If that wow. isn't double-dipping, I don't know what is. They have an incentive to keep it full. So the longer mm-hmm. terms they give out, the more they get for their retirement. I think it's real simple. Congress should pass a law. No one involved in law enforcement or making laws, Congress, Senate, President, police, none of them should be allowed to own stock in the prison system. They shouldn't be allowed to profit from the prison system by selling them clothes or selling them food or transportation system. There's a whole network of people that haul prisoners around. I got moved 30 times. Who paid for that? 
Who are those people driving the people around? There's busloads of people being hauled all over the interstate right now as we speak. Right. Moving from prison to prison. Who's paying? Who owns that bus? Who owns that transportation industry? And is that supported behind the scenes somehow by somebody who makes the laws and has an incentive to keep the prisons full? That is something I'm advocating for. Change that. I went away to prison for structuring. I'd never heard of such a thing. What is structuring? Well, you took your money out of the bank in amounts less than $10,000. Yeah? <laughs> so what? They should, they should completely eliminate the structuring laws and make them retroactive and pay the damages that they did. What's I'm retroactive? Also, what's, that? What, what's retroactive? Make this, make the, if they repeal the structuring law, make it retroactive, because there's a lot of people in prison right now for structuring. And the government seizes all those funds, which is stupid. I've never taken drugs. I'm 62 and a half. I've never taken alcohol, never tasted alcohol. But I would, if I were king, if I were voted in, I would immediately legalize all drugs <clears throat> and eliminate all welfare. You want to take drugs? Go for it. You want to get sick and for me to pay for it? Now, now that's a problem. Because it is going to lead to destroying your health, but that's your problem. There shouldn't be any welfare, at least at the federal level. Churches ought to do that, maybe, you know, but if you want to take marijuana, smoke marijuana, now if you want to get, take drugs and get on the highway and endanger my family, now that we might have to talk about. But I, we, the, most of the people in prisons today are in for some kind of drug violation. This is insane. Stop, stop it. Just stop. Let them all go home. And stop all welfare. They want to, they want to take drugs and they lose their job because they can't show up to work, then they go hungry. Pretty soon they learn, wow, I better change my lifestyle. What we're doing obviously isn't working. We have 4% of the world's population in America, 26% of the world's prisoners in America. Largest prison system in the world. It should all be shut down. Very interesting. I, I see like that being a connection with um, how we're supposed to lay up people like how Paul says that we're to anathema people, lay them up to, to Christ for, for them to, to find their way, for, for them to walk with God by themselves so that they can um, come back to him restored. And that those who would right. bring them back would restore them in the spirit of gentleness. Yeah. And, See, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be punished if there's, no, if there's no loss. If you smoke marijuana, and I don't, I've never tasted it, never even seen it, other than on TV. But... <laughs> Who did you injure? There has to be an injured party. Who, who did you injure? Nobody. So I think uh, some of the things you asked about, what if I changed, I would, I would close down the prisons. And in the meantime, I would make it illegal for anybody involved in law enforcement to be also profit on the backside in any possible way from the, from the prison system. And I would legalize all drugs and stop all welfare. That would eliminate many of the problems we have in our... I think 80% of the guys in prison now are in for drugs of some kind. Yeah, I would believe that. There's That's, there's no, a drug bus no. charge that happens every, you know. So would you yeah, say, that is, that is. just this is getting a little bit uh, deep in there, and you don't have to answer this, but would you say that drug crimes are victimless? Most of the Most time, of the unless time. <clears throat> the person is the person supporting is some kind of habit so they, so go, they steal. go steal. Now that, now has, that a has a victim. But as far as mm -hmm. just taking the drugs, yeah, that's Victimless. victimless shouldn't be a crime okay. yeah well i agree with you there <laughs> if they were legalized the price would drop to 10 percent of what it is and then they wouldn't have to go steal but you're gonna have to shut off 
have to shut off welfare at the same time. Because hmm. they want to take drugs and get high and miss work for four days and then get on welfare. And Oh, I don't want to pay for your salary so you can go home and get high. I got to work for my living. Go work for yours. Yeah, yeah I've never... I've never really even stopped to consider it all the backside of the prison system and how that's connected with, with all that. Yeah, I appreciate the perspective and insight. Um, Ready to switch gears again? Yeah, let's let's switch gears again. Um, so, you imagine as we're in a relatively controversial ministry, we get asked the question a lot: What do you believe, what do you think about the Supreme Court decision with the whole? Uh, gay marriage thing and you being somebody who is uh learned in the penal system and in judicial system um and in the things of god we thought that we would just kind of start into this by by asking you what you think about it and what it means for the body i would would have many things to say on that first of all i don't think the word gay is appropriate i've never met one yet that's happy to me the word gay means happy happy. they're not Most of them are miserable. Uh, The Bible's real clear that in Romans chapter 1, if a person goes into homosexuality, it's usually because they have rejected God's authority over their life. Not always, but I think that Romans chapter 1, because they did not want God to tell them what to do, God gave them up to this homosexual lifestyle. Uh, It's nothing new. It happened in the time of Abraham, 2000 B.C. They were called Sodomites from the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's way back here. I mean, so this has been going on for millennia, at least 4,000 years. I've never met one that's happy. Most of them are miserable and uh, and trying desperately to find some kind of happiness in life. And they, 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 so far, so the gay is the wrong word, okay, for, in my opinion. A second thing to consider in all this, as far as the government saying they can, uh, homosexual marriages, why is the government a lot involved in marriage at all? Whose business is it of theirs to determine? There was no such thing as a marriage license until after the Civil War. Abe Lincoln didn't have a marriage license. He had a marriage covenant. He and his wife went down, got in front of their Bible, got the page in the front that says, you know, I I take you to be my wife, and they sign it, and the preacher signs it, and they have a little ceremony if they want, and they're married. Why, Why is the government involved in marriage at all, let alone gay marriage? So I think we should look at the bigger picture, like, whoa, stop. What have we created here? A license to get married? Hmm. What What does that mean? Does that mean it's licentious if you don't? Well, most other countries don't have this marriage license. Is this just another money-making racket, a way to control? And why should the county or state or Fed be involved at all? So I think they're way out of bounds even getting involved in this, whether it's gay marriage or otherwise. So... I, a, I don't think they're gay. I think they're, Bible calls them sodomites or people, uh, homosexuals. So when I was a child, the word was queer. That's the word they used for. And so it's the, I, I feel bad for them. Now, it's not the unpardonable sin. They can be forgiven, and they make great Christians when they get converted. Many of them are, 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 are loving people. They're looking for somebody to love. I understand all that. Uh, and they're brokenhearted, most of them. And God can forgive them and save them and bring them into fellowship with him, and he will be their heavenly father. Some of the former homosexuals make just really fabulous Christians when they get truly converted. So I think it's sad that so many people will point down at the gays when they themselves have a lot of wicked sin in their life. You know, they're committing adultery or fornication or theft or something. So 
I think it'd be wrong to put that sin above any other sins. I think it's a sin. Mm-hmm. But so is lying, and so is stealing, and so is you know a lot of other things, too. So uh, they can be forgiven like anybody else. Well, uh, <clears throat> we definitely agree that they can be forgiven just like anybody else, for sure. And, um, you know, we do believe that it's a destructive lifestyle that nobody should be a part of, just like any lifestyle um, that's based around the pursuit of something other than Christ uh, leads somebody into destruction and death because it becomes an idol in their life. Um, um, Well, I I just wanted to touch on a a quick thing that you said um, and just kind of explore your mind for a second. When you say they make great Christians after they've been truly converted. What does that, what does that look like for what, what, what's your, what's your definition of meaning right here? Well, there's a movie just came out recently called audacity. Ray comfort did that. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, audacity. And it's on this very topic of homosexuals being forgiven and being saved and getting converted 46 and a half years ago. Someone asked me, they said, Kent, are you going to heaven? I said, I don't know. I've been baptized and catechized and pasteurized and homogenized and circumcised and you know, <laughs> what else is there? And they said, well, have you ever sinned? Have you ever broken any of God's laws? Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. I said, well, yeah, I've broken a bunch of them. They said, well, then you're going to hell. I said, whoa, whoa, isn't, isn't God going to weigh my good against my bad? They said, what judge on earth would ever do that? If you murdered somebody... And you went to court and said, Your Honor, I did murder this guy. However, there are lots of people I have known that I did not murder. Let's put my good against my bad. They'd say, Okay, we will only punish you for the one you murdered. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if God only punished you for your sin, he did not punish you for the good things. He just punished you for the sin. You would be in serious trouble. Yeah. Me too. Everybody would. We're all sinners. So... February 9th, 1969, I said, Lord, I am a sinner. I am guilty. I'm, I'm guilty. I can't, I, I got to admit it. But I believe that you died on that cross and you rose from the dead. I believe you died for me and I want to receive you as my Savior. And I invited Jesus Christ to forgive me and save me 46 and a half years ago. And something began to grow inside. It's like a seed was planted. Like, whoa, this is amazing. And over the last 46 and a half years, as I read the Bible and add water, uh, it, it grows. And I want to serve him even more. So anyone, regardless of their particular sin, whether it's homosexuality or bank robbing or drug dealing or whatever, they can be forgiven. I would encourage them to call upon the name of the Lord and say, God, would save me. Now, Amen. when a new, newborn babies, you know, will wet their diapers and you don't say anything about it. <clears throat> when they're two years old, you start to potty train them and say, okay, kid, you know, don't go over here, not in your pants. And you're patient. After about three or four years old, patient starts to wear out. Like, hey, kid, knock it off. I told you not to do that. You know, come over here. A parent is is, uh, understanding of the child's development level and what they're capable of doing. And they tolerate things the first couple years that they will not tolerate later. You know, wetting their pants, for instance. I think it's the same in the Christian life. A lot of Christians have sin in their life. And God tolerates it for the first six months or a year of their Christian life. But at some point, God's going to say, hey, son, knock it off. That's wrong, and you know it. So a, a, a homosexual, for instance, can get born again, get saved, be forgiven, going to heaven. 
And they may struggle with their sin for a while, and God will finally convict them, and God may have to play rough, like he did in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I said, look, Paul said, I want you to turn that guy over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved. Still going to heaven. Living in adultery with his mother or stepmother. So, yeah, God's a merciful God, and if you get saved, you're God's child, and you're going to heaven. Now, you can sin to the point where God kills you. First <clears throat> John 5 talks about there's a sin unto death. I, as a Christian, could do things that God would say, Son, you're an embarrassment to the family. Come on home to heaven. He would take me out of here. So, so that's interesting. You say uh, six months to a year. So, like, you believe that there's a specific, like, God has a, a specific timeline or? No, it's different for everybody, just like children. When should okay. they quit wearing diapers? Well, mm-hmm. some quit wearing at 18 months. Some right. are three years old. You know, they're all different. Well, right, sure. I mean, like, when I first became a Christian, um, I was I was a liar. I lied a lot. And my dad had to punish me pretty pretty severely for it to get for it to get through my head that that lying was something that was unacceptable. Um, it's and uh, we can talk about this just a little bit, but um, part of part of what we teach and you know you're right. There is patience and and grace. That's that's what God God only has grace for us. Absolutely. Um, and a lot of Christians that we talk to believe that when somebody who is same-sex attracted becomes saved, then they need then victory in their life looks like them not being same-sex attracted anymore. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, and that will come. The more they read the word, the more they'll know what God wants. The secret is, you know, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You just this is like adding water to a tree. The Add the water, the tree will grow. You, you, you got a new spirit living inside. You got born again. Read the word. God will convict them. I think, uh, without exception, they will have. They will quickly realize. You know, God, you're not happy with this. God, help me change. And God can help them change. Just like He can what stop about? a liar from lying. Or Jacob in the Bible was a trickster, always tricking everybody. And he, God changed his name to Israel, which is the Prince of God. You know, so. The Bible is full of examples where God totally changed people. Uh, yeah, it definitely changes their heart. Um, I would I would push up against that a little bit and in, in, in just kind of a, a different way of thinking. God takes away that the more we walk with Him, the, He takes away our desire to carry out our sinful desires, and He right. certainly. He certainly changes our um, our motivations for doing things. You know, he, he he washes us with the water of the word. But um, I know very many uh, Christians who are in love with the Lord and have been walking with Him for a long time, and um, the the attraction itself doesn't go away. Well, what they have done with it and, the, and how that has been submitted to Christ is what has changed. So, what do you think about that? Oh, yeah. Some people certainly are people. There's a lot of different personality types. You know, some men are more, I guess, more feminine would be the way to say it. You know, they prefer the cooking and the what the other men would call sissified. OK, well, that's just their personality. You know, Jacob and Esau, classic examples of that. Jacob liked to work in the kitchen and Esau liked to go out hunting. He's the he's the redneck, you know. So 
certainly there are different personalities of men and, and women, and some some women are more masculine, go out and love to chop wood and you know uh, climb trees, and others others don't. They like to sit and sew and cook or whatever. So that of course is a factor in this in this lifestyle question you're talking about. Some are simply more um, more effeminate would be the way most people would describe it. That doesn't make it right. They can still use that and. Uh, for, and use that personality trait to be compassionate or caring or be a nurse at a hospital or work at a nursing home or there's all kinds of things they can do and use that compassion that natural compassion which is wonderful and God put it in them for for a reason but not to be attracted to someone of the same sex that would be contrary to scripture very clearly so you believe that the attraction itself in and of itself com- uh, separate apart from the way someone chooses to do it is in and of itself a sin, someone is sinning by being attracted. Yes, uh, attracted how? You know, the Bible's real clear about marriage and family and all that stuff and uh, homosexuality. Right. Um, well, homosexuality is actually a verb. And um, the attraction itself is the drive, is the force that would lead to the action. Right, because actions have causes and effects. So, um, something that that we teach and that we really believe in, and God has confirmed for us over and over again, because I haven't found a single place where the attraction itself, where our uh, our propensity to sin, our being affected by a sinful creation, is in and of itself condemned. Our responsibility is to submit our brokenness to Christ. Is that what do you think about that? Does that does that make sense? Do I need to clarify? Or? I think even the attraction, though, you have to watch because Jesus said in Matthew chapter uh, five, uh, verse twenty-eight, that don't even look at a woman you're not married to and lust after her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. That's- lust. So lust, lust is, is wrong. Lust is wrong, but it's an action. And so is the lust action. is what you choose to do with right. the the um the the circumstance that has been placed on your life by being affected by a sinful creation. Because um, something that we like to separate out as part of our teaching in helping the church love their their neighbors is going through um, terms churchy terms that um, we've grown up saying to people that we say one thing meaning to love them and to bring them to Christ, but the person receives that and hears something completely different across the board. I mean, it's, it's not a typical, you know, that person just was angry and they received it that way. It's the, the words actually reflect what they receive, even though it's from a heart of sincerity. Mm-hmm. And um, we approach, just really quick, we approach... Uh, gay ministry and teaching the church how to minister to people in a very personable one-on-one type of thing because we believe that um, that uh, these these people and society which is now backing these people will only be reached by the individual of the church. We can only do so much and we want to equip everyone who's sitting in the pews to to love their gay brother, sister, whatever their gay pastor that's down the road and and leading people to hell, you know, like leading people into their own death and into uh, 
a sinful lifestyle and saying God's okay with it. You know, we don't we don't want to go there. And that that we call accepting people into their death, you know, saying, go ahead and go, go do what you want. But we also don't want to condemn people away from the cross. Um, well, well, a couple of things to consider. Uh, the Bible's real clear that it's wrong. Secondly, I think common sense would tell you this is obviously leads to some diseases. I mean, take a look at this mm-hmm. pretty obvious. Right. It's an unhealthy lifestyle. Thirdly, it's unnatural. There's no animals that do this. This is only man. It's a choice that they make in most cases. And uh, it, um, it do, they don't reproduce, obviously, you know, so they have to recruit. You have to recruit to keep this going. You can't, they don't reproduce. They don't make babies. I taught biology. It don't work that way. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, they don't reproduce, but um, my brother is a biology major, and he was actually talking to me with a bunch of friends on one of his birthdays up in the mountains and describing to me these species of slugs and different animal species that practice homosexuality and was like, well... Blah, 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 blah. And I didn't really have an answer. Um, but um, back to, to, to the original track of what we were talking about with, the, <clears throat> with the, the attraction itself. We teach people to separate out this person doesn't need to change for God to accept them and to, and to love them. And when I say change, I say victory in their life doesn't necessarily look like them becoming straight. What do you think about that? Maybe not right away, but I think eventually it will. God will have to straighten that out. You know, that, that God is not God's will for them to continue in that. It's like a child wetting his pants. The long-term goal is quit wetting your pants, son. You know, may take so two years. So somebody who God takes out of, say, being a uh, a compulsive gambler, and they're a gambler all of their life, and they they... they they don't meet the Lord until like later in life, and they have an entire life history of a set learned pattern. I see casinos, I go nuts, um, and and the Lord brings them out of you know slowly brings them out of that compulsive lifestyle. Bring, brings them out of spending hours and hours and hours in a casino, uh, hiding the checkbook from his wife, hiding the checkbook from his from his sons and daughters and stuff like that. So you think at at some point there comes a time when he is no longer whatsoever affected by even looking at a casino? Now, he may always struggle with that, but he has to overcome it. You know, uh, there's all kinds of things we all struggle with, but you have to control yourself, you know. See, a, a diaper is for someone who does not have internal control. You have to have an external solution to this problem. Once they get internal control, that external solution is no longer needed. And society, you know, the whole prison system is a giant diaper. It's it's controlling from the outside, <laughs> you know, the internal problem. So I would shut it down. I need to get the United States is wearing a diaper, everybody. <laughs> yeah. I need to get there. We get going here. But thank you so much for having me. And uh, God can forgive anybody that's not the unpardonable sin. And I'm glad you guys are doing this ministry. Keep it up. Well, we look forward to talking to you in the future. This has been great. Maybe we can share some more and, um, you know, or we'll find you out there and be able to meet you in person. That would just be a joy. That sounds great. Thank you so much, fellas. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time. It was great to meet you. Bye-bye. Well, that was was really enjoyable. And I really... Yes, it was. I really do 
I'm glad that we got to do that. Yeah, that was great. What a wonderful man. Um, it, it, you know, but Brandon, I think what's interesting with him is that he represents a great deal of Christian society or people of faith society, and which is good. And I, I love that his heart was that anybody can and everybody can be forgiven mm-hmm. because we know that everybody has already been forgiven. It's a matter of accepting it. And there is change because when you get into Christ, he changes your life and he changes your behaviors and he makes you all that he wants you to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that Kent believes that and sees that. Um, I think that comparing and contrasting to the way we approach it, um, he's got, if you will, a little more of a hard line approach sure. uh, because we have more of the, that personal experience, especially for myself. Uh, to to know that it takes time to get somewhere and to do something, but I loved his heart. I and I sure enjoy his uh, his science and Bible because he's so right on it. At least in my opinion, I really thought that was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope we didn't chase him off. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but he couldn't do our ministry for very long over the phone. So that's cool. He'll be yeah. back. I'm I'm actually really excited to watch Audacity and. Um, yeah. I would encourage anyone who listens to go uh, maybe give it a download and and watch it and we'll, you know, we'll we'll discuss it later from from our perspective and and it's going to represent uh, Kent Hovind's perspective too. So um, it'll bring all this a little bit more to light. And so I'm um, I'm pretty excited to do that. And please please go check out Kent Hovind's uh, material because he does have a lot of really really good things to say about. Science, creation, evolution, the penal system, those types of things. You know, he has a very, he has a unique perspective um, from being on the inside and from uh, being a biology professor. And, you know, I think he said he taught college level biology for a while too. And, you know, it's, it's what brought me and changed my mind about uh, the whole idea of evolution and how and truly how poisonous of an idea it really is um, when you look at it fundamentally. And, um, yeah. He's got a great picture on his webpage. So it's a big, if, angry lion. Yeah. And those eyes are something else. you got to go to his hey, website kitty just to see the big, angry kitty. <laughs> the big, angry kitty bold <laughs> as a lion. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thanks so much for... Uh, for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed Kent Hovind. We surely did. And we hope to get him back on, maybe do a follow-up with Canary Cry. So be be uh, be tuning in to, to our episodes to see what keeps coming up next. We're going to have some pretty cool stuff coming. So, yeah, thanks for listening. And go ahead and go out and change someone's mind about God today. listening to Free Indeed Radio. Send us your prayer requests, comments, and suggestions to freeindeedco at gmail.com. We would love to hear how the Lord has touched your life and rejoice with you. Don't forget to sign up to follow us by email on the website and get our app from the Google Play Store. Free Indeed is listener supported and we invite you to come check out how you can support us through our website at www.freeindeedco.com. 
Free Indeed Ministries believes that your tithes belong to your local church, and we receive your donations as offerings to support the mission of Free Indeed to advance the gospel of grace throughout the world. The Lord bless you as you go into your world and change someone else's mind about God.